The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yehodia and Sentiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, before I get into the outline, there is something I'm sure we can agree on. And that is, when our comfort is under attack, man, it's war. It's war, because how dare you threaten my comfort? How dare you take my electricity supply? Especially when my baby needs a bath, right? How dare you take my electricity when it's time to cook? How dare you take my electricity when I'm in the middle of a project, probably the most important project of my life, and I lose all that work because I, I didn't manage to save it. Right? If you can relate to that, praise the Lord. If you can't relate to that, how about this? Now I can't do any washing. Now I can't do any washing. I have a house of five people it's been eight days, nine days, maybe 11 days. I haven't had an opportunity to do any washing. How dare you? How dare you threaten my comfort? Man, this place is horrible. Man, this government is wretched. All those things scream discontentment. It screams discontentment. There's, listen, there's no guarantee that in this life, you will have 100% comfort. No guarantee. Whoever told that, or whoever shared that with you, whoever made that promise with you, I am so sorry on their behalf, because they deceived you. Whether you're an unbeliever, whether you're a believer, you may pursue life in a different country, and say, but it's better there, is it really? Have you spoken to those people? Have they truthfully shared their hearts with you? You will find that everyone, everywhere, will find a reason to complain about something. Right? That is discontentment. And I think Paul might have had every right, humanly speaking, to grumble and complain. His life is at stake. He's literally in a dungeon cell where... Dirty water runs past him day in and day out. He has no scheduled meals. Uh, he has the comfort of fellow Christians, but come on. How many of us get tired of one another and go, can they not call me right now? 
I love them, but not right now. Friends, we will come up with any ridiculous excuse to grumble and complain. The issue is this. Scripture tells us, and this is the Lord's word for us, right? Psalm 36. We see the attitude of someone who is content. It says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, meaning for that reason, sons of man take refuge in the shadow of your wings, and they are content. Scripture doesn't say, find your satisfaction in the things of the world. Scripture doesn't say, find your satisfaction in your job, in your career, in your children, in your spouse. It doesn't say that. But Scripture does say, be satisfied in the Lord. Amen? Be satisfied in the Lord. Paul even says that. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. But we look at our circumstances. We look at the obstacles that are in front of us and we say, Woe is me. Life is terrible. This is unfair. Why me? Discontentment. So, as we've read this passage this morning, Paul actually shows us five ways, five commands as a matter of fact. To be content in the Lord. And, and friends, you know, after preaching this last week, just conversing with some of you, people come back with, with testimonies of like, you know, I've been very convicted, but I've still done these things. So maybe we missed something last week. And I want to reiterate it as we go into the outline. To be content in the Lord doesn't mean I'm satisfied with my circumstance. It means I'm satisfied with who the Lord is right now, regardless of my circumstances. That is contentment. It's not to say, you know what? Yes, load shedding. Woo! About time. I was waiting for you. No, not at all. It means to be satisfied in the Lord, regardless of your circumstances. So just to briefly run through it, we started by looking at the fellowship of believers. Paul gives us a command from verse 1 through 3. And basically what he shares is the people who has been around him. The people who has been around him has given him great cause to be satisfied and comforted in the Lord. Right? He's got these seven men, eight men with him. I mean, they're encouraging him. They're singing with him. Perhaps they're taking turns, you know, to share the gospel. And, and so he's satisfied in this fellowship. He's content in this fellowship. And then he writes to the church in, in Colossia and he says, um, he mentions Euodia, Sentiki, Clement. He mentions another brother who's a fellow worker. Then he mentions all those whose names are in the book of life. Here's the thing. Euodia and Sentiki are these two ladies' best friends. No. Paul says these words. I entreat these women to agree in the Lord. What was happening in the context is these ladies had issues and they had a little click and she had a little click and they were actually causing a split in the church. Trying to get people to side with them. 
causing a great chaos in the church. And Paul says, I want these women to agree in the Lord. Because they, they have. There was a time where they were working together. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me. Perhaps these women were best of friends. And so instead of grumbling and complaining, look at it. Instead of grumbling and saying, you women, you two used to be so faithful. Now look at you. You're wretched. No, no, he says, my prayer is that you would agree in the Lord. Because friends, we overcome discontentment when we are in true fellowship with one another. Right? It doesn't mean we see eye to eye with the theologies and the doctrines. It means, as Paul lays it out in, in Ephesians, that we're of one faith, one mind, one heart, one love, one Lord. Right? That's what he refers to. So firstly, this, this first command is to not forsake the fellowship of other believers. To not forsake the fellowship of other believers. Elsewhere, Hebrews 10 verse 24, it says, Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Come together to stimulate one another to love and to good works. If you're sitting at home, you're not able to stimulate other believers. You can't encourage those around you because there's no one around you. In fact, what we do when we forsake the assembly, really what we're saying is, I can manage. I can, I, I, I can be content without any Christians encouraging me. Now listen, if Paul says, you know, we ought to follow his example, and if Paul, you know, supposedly had every right to boast in his heritage, in his wisdom, in what he has uh, accomplished, in his experience, and he has a group of friends with him, he has a fellowship with him. I don't think we're going to get very far when we assume I'm fine by myself. Like I can manage. I've done it before. I don't see that happening when we look at the lives of supposed great Christians. And they knew they couldn't do any of it by themselves. That they need to be in the fellowship of God's people. So part of kind of cultivating discontentment a way of learning contentment i mean is is to be part of the fellowship is to have other believers around you and and sometimes my dear friends it's is to have a, a group specifically close to you friends in the church that can relate to you secondly we looked at cultivating joy very interesting choice of words there cultivating joy Verse 4 and 5, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul means here to, to train yourself to rejoice. Because by default, help me out, who here just naturally rejoices? Just naturally, just rejoice naturally. Like, what? Taxi cut in front of me. Praise the Lord. Is that you? 
because I want to be driving with you. I need to cultivate that kind of joy, right? Um, no, the moment, as I said, when our, when our comfort is being threatened, it's like we flip the switch and that joy, whether it was supposed or real, just vanishes and we become something else, right? No, Paul says, train yourself to rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, again, I say, rejoice. It's, it's a present active imperative, meaning it's a command that says, keep doing this thing. Keep rejoicing. The New Testament lists 70 times rejoice. 70 times. But it has a working phrase with it. Again, I don't want you to go home. And in the week we talk about this and you say, yeah, I was rejoicing with load shedding. No, no, no. It's to rejoice in the Lord. That's the working phrase. God is the object in who we rejoice. Not the things around us, but God. The one who is working these trials, these obstacles, these circumstances. In Him we rejoice. In Him we take great joy because dear friends help me out again the joy the world offers is temporal it only lasts a moment you go to your favorite restaurant and you order your favorite meal and you are happy and you are satisfied and you go home and an hour later you forgot about it yeah you buy a brand new car and maybe for the first week maybe for the first month Hey, this is fun. This is making me happy. And then it just doesn't. It's just there. The joy the world offers will fade. It will eventually run out. And so if we're pursuing our joy in worldly circumstances, in worldly objects, it's just not going to cut it. It just doesn't last. Same thing at the beginning of chapter 3. Paul says... Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Meaning, not in your circumstances. Meaning that joy is a choice. Yes? It's a choice. It's to train your heart to find comfort and happiness in the Lord, no matter what your circumstances are. It's to say, He's enough. I remember years ago listening to a sermon that John Piper was preaching. Very controversial um, message, by the way. He was preaching on the effects that the prosperity gospel has on the American citizen and how the American church were exporting this prosperity gospel to the rest of the world. And this is what he said, the one illustration he used. He said this, How will you respond when as you are driving down the road and you hit a lamppost and your child goes flying through the windscreen and lands dead on the road. He says to rejoice in the Lord doesn't mean to sit there and go, hey, at least we made it to this point. No, to rejoice in the Lord is to say, I don't know what you are doing right now. I don't know why this overcame me right now. And this hurts. This stings. 
I don't know what to think. I don't know how to react. But you are enough. You will carry me through this. You will be my help, my comfort, my joy. That, my dear friends, is what it means to rejoice in the Lord always. It means to run to Him first. It means to acknowledge Him first, regardless of the things around us. Again, can we just respond that way? No. We need to cultivate this kind of joy. We need to cultivate this kind of, of attitude to rejoice in the Lord, no matter what happens. Again, we go back to Psalm 63. And David was running for his life because his son Absalom was coming for him and coming for his kingdom. And this is what, what David said in the psalm. O God, you are my God. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power, your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Friends, I want to say something this morning that will step on so many toes. This thing of, of seeking, a, a, kind of like a happy feeling when you pursue worship, that doesn't mean to rejoice the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is when David says, they are coming for my life. And they may, they may catch up to me. They may end me. But you know what? Lord, I seek you. No matter how I feel right now. No matter what dark thoughts overwhelm me right now. I want to praise you. I want to give thanks to you. Because your loving kindness is better than mine. It's not to look at our circumstances and put on praise and worship music so that we can feel better. It's to say, despite my circumstances, Lord, I want to love you more. Regardless of how I feel. Regardless of how dark my thoughts may be. I want to love you more. It goes on in the psalm. Verse 5, he says, My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. This is someone who trusts in the sovereign Lord. This is someone who is trusting the Lord regardless of what's happening around them. Because remember, this wasn't David's first rodeo. This is not the first time David literally ran for his life. Instead of complaining... And grumbling, David cultivated a joy in the Lord. So, that was the recap, by the way. Let's go on. <laughs> we move from verse 4 and 5 to the end of verse 5, looking at how we are to trust in the Lord to overcome discontentment. He says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Friends, as I look at those words, it tells me that contentment demands us to learn that we need to accept less. We need to accept less. We have these high, unreasonable you know, um, standards about life. And when those standards are not met, what do we do? What do we do when we are queuing in a place and all of a sudden we hear offline? What do we do in a place when the queue doesn't move for the, for the last 15 minutes? I tell you what we're not doing. We're not rejoicing in the Lord. But we join the conversation that the group is having. Compra- complaining. Ah, oh, these people, this government, this country. Just a waste. Contentment demands that we need to learn to accept less. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be made known to all men. It means to have a gentle spirit. It means not to have the desire of um, retaliating, to hate, to have bitterness, to be angry, to kind of justify yourself. It means to have no bitterness. Let your reasonableness, your gentle spirit, be made known to all. That's the command. So next time you're stuck in that situation, where you want to complain about the lack of service delivery, where you want to complain that your standard is not being met, Paul says what you need to be doing is your testimony should be testifying. You're not about hate. That you're not about bitterness or anger. Instead, that you are willing to embrace your circumstances. You're willing to embrace your circumstances. Here's the thing. If you're a complainer, people will know you to be a complainer. People will know. There's this funny thing online where they mock uh, a supposed woman named Karen that has short, you know, Bob-style hair and a certain kind of high heel and a dress and a what. This supposed person is always the one that wants to speak to your manager and wants to complain. And Do you want to be a Karen? Like... Paul says, let your reasonableness be made known to all. But then he goes on to say this. He says, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. The Lord is near. Spoiler alert, he's not talking about the second coming. He's not talking about the rapture. He's referring to the presence of the Lord. In other words, when you are in that circumstance, and the very first thing that wants to come out of your heart is to be discontent about the situation, the Lord is near, meaning the presence of the Lord is still with you. Jesus didn't go anywhere so that you can complain. He is still there with you. Our Lord said in His Word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So do you think in that moment He has left you? That He is forsaking you? Paul says, no. The Lord is at hand. He's here. He is near to you. He dwells within you. And this should comfort us. 
Do you want to know why? Because it's the Lord who supplies every need. It is the Lord who comforts, who provides. But I need to be aware of it. I need to be aware that I am right now standing in the presence of the Lord. And what I want to do about that is complain because the woman in front of me can't add up all her things. Or because the car in front of me puts on its hazards and now I can't get around it. The Lord is at hand. Embrace your circumstances. Verse 6 goes on and it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Literally the verse says, What's the point of getting frustrated? That's what it says. What's the point of getting frustrated? Do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because everything is in the Lord's hand. Everything is in the Lord's hand. Especially the church that He is building. God promises to be sufficient and never leave us. That He will be there to supply the need. But does He promise comfort? Does He promise that everything in that situation at that moment is going to work out? Or does He promise that everything will work out according to His glory? According to His glory for your good. I think it's the latter. So friends, it truly teaches us that if we want to be content, we need to trust in the Lord. We need to Trust that He is near to us. In fact, His Word says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And therefore, we, we move on to number four. And this is a command that says, Respond. Respond with thankfulness. You know, if you study Ephesians 4, Paul also outlines this very thing. That when we get in arguments, then when our relationships don't work out, we get angry, we want to retaliate, our speech suddenly becomes horrified. And Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4, not to retaliate, but to act. To act. And he says the same thing here again in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So instead of questioning God, instead of doubting God, instead of being discontent and reacting with you know, negative comments, Paul says, in every situation, we need to turn to the Lord in prayer. That's why we... We fail because we don't turn to the Lord in prayer. We don't at that moment say, Lord, lead me not into temptation. But we embrace the temptation. And we grumble and complain just like everyone else around us. We don't pray and say, Lord, I cannot deal right now. I need your grace. I need your strength. That's why we can't respond with thankfulness. 
we're, we're carrying this load. Sometimes it's not even our load, but we're like, oh, you have, yeah, but give me, I want to also. I want to go through what you're going through, even though I don't need to. Give me your burden. I also want to suffer. Scripture says the opposite. You know, Peter writes to Christians who are running for their lives, and he says, um, he says, cast your care on him because he cares for you. Cast your burden, cast your worry, cast your anxiety, cast your fear on the Lord. No, but it's, it's satisfying to have something tangible that takes away my worry, that takes away my fear. Scripture says the opposite. What takes away these things is to turn to the Lord in prayer and to trust Him. To respond with thankfulness. The word here means to beg. Supplication means begging. It's not just some brief verbalization like, Oh Lord, I can't deal. Oh Lord, I've kind of had enough of this. Can we move on? The word supplication means to beg the Lord. It means to go before Him and literally pour out your heart, asking, pleading that He will take this burden off of you. Do you follow? That's supplication. And when you've given it all to Him, verse 7 says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But no, we swap the verses around and we say, oh, but the Lord's peace. Don't worry. And we try and be mystical about it. We try and say, no, if I, if I just think about His peace, these things will go away. That's not what the verse says. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious. Right? That's a verb. It means this is something you are busy with. Do not be anxious about anything. Rather, in everything, be in prayer. Be looking to the Lord. Be trusting in the Lord. But what kind of prayer? The prayer of supplication. The prayer of going before the Lord and wrestling with Him about these anxieties, these burdens, these trials. You know, we look at the Old Testament saints and we want to almost idolize how they wrestle with the Lord. We see these white tent crusades. One night of wrestling with the Lord. My dear friends, we want to go pursue these events, but we don't even want to spend 10 minutes before the throne of grace, before a loving Savior, and literally say, Lord, you know my heart is heavy. Please work in me. Work through me. We don't even, we say, oh, but I don't have the words to pray, so I'm not going to pray. What about Romans 6? Romans 6, where it teaches us the theology, when we don't even have the right words, the Holy Spirit intercedes. It, literally, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. No, that's too much work. 
too much work to go and be before the Lord by myself. Guys, it doesn't make sense. But we want verse 7. We want verse 7 because we want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. No. You're only going to get the peace of God that surpasses all understanding when you literally go and stand before Him. That's what the verse says. And then he says, He'll guard your hearts and your mind. Meaning, He's going to guard you against the temptation to let these thoughts overwhelm you. So if you want peace in your life, learn to pray. Learn to pray. Learn to cast all your cares on the Lord. And here's the thing. You won't necessarily get a certain answer. But the responsibility is to cast your care. And the peace of God will protect your heart and your mind. It protects you from being discontent. It protects you from being fearful. From being anxious. Because you are actively in that moment. Trusting the Lord by giving thanks. Thank you, Lord, that I don't understand these circumstances, but that you are with me. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided a people who can pray with me. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided in times where I didn't even think it was necessary. What is that teaching us? Contentment. Now, lastly, Paul gives us a final command in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, meaning church, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's a change in the mind, right? You're changing your thoughts. It's, it means to set your heart on what's above. Who's above? What's above? Our Lord. So, Paul is telling us that contentment comes from focusing on God and His doings. So let's start with what's first. He says, think about what's true. Literally. Paul says, get the lies out of your life. Get the lies out of your life. Come out of hiding. Think about what is true. Then find what is honorable or what's worthy of respect. It means to have a higher standard in the Lord. Not in your life and your preferences. What is honorable? Well, what the Lord says is honorable. When He says, I need to obey His word. When He gives me commands to act upon. When He says that I need to worship Him and love Him with all my heart, soul, minds and strength. That is what's honorable. That is what's worthy of respect. He says, think about whatever is right. Literally, whatever is righteous. What is righteous? Christ is righteous. And He has given us His righteousness. His word is full of the teachings of righteousness. 
It means instead of the temptation of giving in to temp, you know, of giving in to temptation, instead of giving way for corruption, think about what is right. He says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, means think about the things that are attractive in the Lord, in His Word, in the coming kingdom, in His church. He goes on to say, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Friends, He's saying, think about the things that are praiseworthy. If anything has virtue, another way to translate it is, if there is anything virtuous, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. And friends, let me sum it up in one person. Christ. Christ. Because Christ has come to reveal the truth. John the Baptist announced it. He says, Behold, He has come. And Christ has come to reveal the truth. Christ has shown us what is honorable, what is worthy of respect. The righteousness of Christ is the very thing gifted to us in salvation. We think about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. The mind of Christ is pure. The sacrifice of Christ is lovely. Think upon Him. Think about Christ, what He does, what He has done. If you put Christ on the scale, He is meant to outweigh everything in this life that causes you to be discontent. You see, it's like we're trying to outweigh Christ. We don't want to get rid of these things. Perhaps it's for the sake of attention. We want direct attention from those around us. Perhaps we cling to these things because we imagine that if we let them go, we won't feel anything. Perhaps we're afraid of an emptiness. Christ promises way more than that. So I don't know what you expose yourself to, but if you are discontent, Maybe start by switching off your TV. Because when you do that, the first thing you find is you have time to actually think about the things. What is pure? What is lovely? What is honorable? 90 to 95% of what's on television is a bunch of junk that appeals to the flesh. And that's what causes us to have this unimaginable standard about life. If you're going to program your mind with the devil's chaos, then it's going to steal your, dis- your contentment for sure. It will rob you. Think means to elevate. These things is, is what are to shape the way you act. So Paul says, elevate these things. Above everything else. Pursue purity. Pursue truth. Pursue that which is honorable. Which is commendable. Which is lovely. Which is worthy of excellence. 
Pursue these things. Elevate these things. Make them more important than your two-hour Siri time at night. Make them more important than when you wake up in the morning, no matter what time it is, and you grab your phone to look on what's on the screen. Make these things more important than the time you set aside to be with friends. Prioritize. Prioritize the Lord. Friends, it's, it's a filthy habit that when our eyes open, we want to see what, what's happening in the world. Make it a habit that when your eyes open, to close them and think on these things. What is pure, what is lovely. And I tell you, you'll soon realize that it becomes harder and harder to be discontent. You'll soon realize it's becoming harder and harder to be discontent because every day you are pouring yourself out before the Lord. And it's a work. It takes effort. It needs to become a habit. Don't leave yourself in this bad process of thinking negative things, of being overwhelmed, of being a complainer. Because contentment flows from appreciating fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship with believers. Contentment flows from appreciating joy in the Lord. It flows from trusting in the Lord, trusting in His promises. It comes from responding with thankfulness in prayer. It comes when you focus on the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Contentment doesn't just fall out of the sky. You don't just wake up being content. There's a training in righteousness or the outworking of your salvation before the Lord. Look at verse 9 and I'll close. Paul says, When you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He's referring to these commands. He's referring to these commands. He says, look. This is the way to contentment. When you obey these commands. He says in verse 11. Just move down. I'm not speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation. I am to be content. He says I've learned. So if Paul needs to be our example. Then let it be. Verse 12. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Of having abundance and suffering need. Then he goes on to say. But I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. These commands of trusting the Lord, responding with thanks, is through Christ. Christ strengthens me. So I need to be rushing to be before His throne of grace. I need to be in His presence. I need to acknowledge His presence. We move down to verse 18. He says, I have received everything in full. 
I have an abundance. I am amply supplied. And he says this from prison. He says this from prison. And he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to pray, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul rejoices in this benediction. And he's in the most horrible circumstances, awaiting a trial for his life. He says, I'm content. I'm satisfied. The Lord's hand is at work. I'm in His presence. I'm in His fellowship. May our God and Father be glorified forever and ever. Amen. What a place to arrive at. What a place to pursue. But it's in Christ. Don't daydream of a time where you could say these words, yet you're doing nothing about it. Let this example be for us a form of encouragement to pursue these commands, to walk in these attitudes, to trust as I obey His word, as I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I can be content. I can be content. Let's give thanks. Our Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we can examine it and, and really dive in and see the weight of these truths. So I pray that as we consider the commands we've seen this morning, that you... Lord, won't leave us to ourselves, that you won't hand us over to discontentment, but instead through the grace of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us walk in the outworking of these commands, that we would look to you instead of looking at our burden, that we would make the time to literally sit back and think about how your hand is working in every situation. Lord, I pray that perhaps as we may be blinded in circumstances um, to not see your truth and to want to fall and, 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 and become once again a complainer about everything that just overwhelms us or that threatens our comfort, to quickly again come back to these thoughts. I pray that as you commanded in the Old Testament, that we would literally bind your word around our arms. That we would wear it spiritually on the forefront of our minds. So that we would always come back to a place of giving thanks and rejoicing in you. Because you alone satisfy. And you alone love us with a love that is eternal. So Christ, we give thanks in your name. Amen.